Again, we're back. Welcome to our bonus edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. We didn't think we'd be speaking to you all quite so soon, but it's been a busy close season already, and there's plenty to discuss. We've nothing better to do, so here we are with me, Gareth Hanna, as always, or Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how's it going? And Adam McHenry. I was enjoying my summer holidays. Mm, and then you were called in, and Johnny's got very sleepy, so <laughs> it's um, it's we're really not. <laughs> full throttle here at all but we'll give it a go we say that we had nothing better to do like we were in the office but like Adam was out enjoying his day before yeah, he gets dragged yeah. in here he's just this. committed yeah. we just wanted to get time away from the desks doing That's actual it. work really <laughs> um, on today's agenda then the end of the Joey Carberry saga finally um, but that leaves Ulster of course with number 10 difficulties we have staff updates with Pain and Super in some out and either or so others neither really in or out we'll also have an injury update and some international rugby with Ireland's tour to Australia of course to look forward to first of all then Joey Carberry's future it's finally sorted there's been plenty of talk about Ulster even Joey himself gave a little explanation as to why he didn't come to Ulster so what did we make of all that last week um, it was an interesting high drama at Cardinal's press conferences you don't often get it but <laughs> when you do it all kicks off unbelievable glad we made that journey down which doesn't always happen but uh, there we are um so, the most interesting thing about the whole, um, I suppose, scenario wasn't that Joey Carberry ended up going to Munster because we'd been pretty sure of that for a couple of weeks anyway. But it was more revealing in the sense of finding out little bits of the timeline of it. So, Ulster were looking to sign an NIQ out half were given a deadline of midday the next day when they went to the RFU with this and then were told apparently that give us a wee second here till we find out what the crack is with Joey Carberry. Joey Carberry indicated that he may or we're not sure how strongly but may be interested <laughs> in a move to Ulster. Um, Ross Byrne indicated that he was not interested in a move to Ulster, but with the, um, I suppose, conviction that there was a thought that they could get Joey Carberry to move north, this deadline then passed. Ulster do not sign said NIQ. And do we know who that was, just by the way? We don't actually know who it was because we think it's a separate issue from Elton Yantis, who was later in the process and turned down for different reasons. We think it's somebody else, probably somebody who's since signed for somebody else. And then Monster to this point have not expressed an interest, but as soon as Monster do express an interest, it doesn't become a case of Leinster or Monster, sorry, Leinster or Ulster becomes Leinster or Monster, and Ulster are left there with nobody in this game of musical chairs. So, but, uh, but there was a stage where sort of I mean, if Joey Carberry had made his mind up a little bit quicker, he would have been at Ulster, really. It was just, he sort of seemed to be saying, I need a wee bit of time to think about this. And meanwhile, Munster, during that period, this is my understanding of it anyway, yeah. then went, oh, actually, we fancy you. And then he went off to them. Yeah. So frustrating from Ulster's point of view, basically. I would say from Ulster's point of view, no matter how you think this was handled or what the ideal scenario of it to be, whether... 
you know, there should be this redistribution of talents that certainly the players native province would have liked to hold on to. Whatever you think about the system, the way that it's worked here has not worked out well for Ulster because they've essentially looked like they were going to get one or two players and ended up caught between two stools with mm. nobody. So you're talking worst case scenario stuff here. And their their frustrations, I suppose, could lie with the IRFU given that I mean, is it the case that Ulster basically had all but signed and sealed an overseas out half until the IRFU went oh no wait, no, hang on a minute, you can't do that. And um, Ulster lose out? You would think if you're getting a deadline put on something that's that close to the conversation that you're having, the talks were fairly advanced and there was some sort of fairly concrete interest because you're not going to turn around and say, well, we need to know by tomorrow if it's the first you've ever spoken yeah. about it, you know? That's true. Um, in t- like, looking at it in the way that Munster have now ended up with four out-halves, or if you want to be cynical about it, three out-halves and a Simon Zebo replacement, but that would just be... <laughs> would be funny, but probably not the way it's gonna gonna shape down. Um, look, I mean, at the press conference um, before the um, side went to Australia, Joe Schmidt was very. I don't know if you agreed with this or not, Adam. But it seemed like Joe Schmidt was keen to put across this idea that Joey Carberry had instigated the communications, and that the IRFU are not as involved in provincial matters as um, mm. people believe them to be. And he said that once, he said it about a hundred times, yeah. trying to make it clear that this was a player-led move and not an IRFU-driven move. And you can say what you want about that, but for me, whenever you're looking at one province has three tens, the other province has three tens who are on the Ireland squad, and one province has... 110. The RFU have to take a little bit more of a lead on this, in my opinion, because leave it up to the player to make the decision, absolutely. But one of the other things they said in the press conference was they're trying to work towards making Ulster, <laughs> to coin a phrase from Donald Trump, great again. <laughs> you know, they're they're trying to they're trying to improve Ulster. So I wish you know, disassociate myself with it. <laughs> They're trying to make Ulster uh, back, to where, back to where back to where they were. Oh, good grief! We're getting so <laughs> sidetracked here. If it's the summer, nobody's taking this too seriously. No. If if Least you want Ul- if you want Ulster to be back where they were around 2012-2013, and you're looking at bringing a ten to Ulster, you're trying to move a ten to Ulster from another province. You've got to try and be putting it to him that this is where you want them to go. Now, you can never force someone to go somewhere, and I would never hope that they would force someone to go somewhere. But someone in the RFU had to say, look, Ulster is struggling for a 10. We have to get someone up there because you're now left in a situation where we're sitting at the start of June and Ulster have Johnny McPhillips for next season, which is not enough. I suppose it sums up the difficulty that the RFU find themselves in. I mean... We rewind a little while and we were saying there if you take too much to do with things around a certain Ryan Pinar situation because it didn't suit Ulster. And now that it does, we're saying, well, your hypothesis is there if you maybe didn't interfere quite enough. We can't have it both ways. Well, it's yeah, you can have it both ways. But the other thing is, if Joey Carberry didn't want to come here, 
which he didn't, then there's nothing you can do, really. Well, from he had there. a certain interest. That we don't. We just don't know the degree of interest. Mm. Somebody but should have get asked him for a percentage. Yeah, exactly. Ten <laughs> percent doesn't that's, look very uh, promising. That's, that's a very niche joke from past Ulster press conferences. <laughs> like that. That's, that's going to go over people's heads. Um, <laughs> So we don't know how interested Joey Carberry ever was. And for him to go to Munster, it seemed like the process was a bit of a wrench. You know, he used words like raw and it'll be easier with time to describe his move, which is not something that you'd probably be saying if you were... 100% wholly enthusiastic about what was happening but what we do know is he was more keen to go to Monster, and he was given the choice of going to Monster. even though if you're looking at it in the strictest sense it doesn't really make a whole pile of coherent sense for him to be going to Monster. Um This is where my point is can the RFU not to say to Monster, you already have Ian Keatley You've got JJ Hanrahan, you've got Bill Johnson coming through, and if Tyler Blendahl ever gets back from injury, you've got him as well. well is, the, is this not where the RFU, maybe instead of interjecting with the player, can interject with the province and say, no, Munster, we don't want you coming in and signing him? Yes. But then, Jarls, if it was put to Carberry before it was put to the RFU, which I'm guessing that it probably was, mm-hmm. because Munster wouldn't presumably go to the effort of trying to get a deal done if they didn't think there was any interest then you have a situation where Carberry might want to be in Leinster might want to be in Munster but ends up in Ulster because he thinks it's good for his career that's probably not a road they are if you want to go down because it's just not good for player welfare when you look when you're weighing up the decision that Carberry's making like I know a few people seemed to take umbrage or there was talk that people were going to take umbrage with it maybe more in uh, than there actually was when it happened but like Carberry's not far from monster territory as it is you know he's not um, Dublin um, when he first came came to Ireland he was sort of in between the two if you like he knows people in Munster he maybe gets on better with some of the Munster players from their time with Ireland than he gets on with the Ulster players, you know. So in that in that way, there was a personal element to the decision, and there's also no way that you can argue that it would be better for Joey Carberry to go to Ulster than it would be to Munster. He's going to play with Conor Murray, yeah. which helps his yeah. international chances and helps him build that understanding with Conor Murray that you don't necessarily get when you're with Ireland because Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray play such a high percentage of minutes even to the point where the bench halfbacks are used much later than anyone else in the the Ireland squad and also as much as people may or may not want to say it Munster are at present a better rugby team and have been for a few years, well, two years, three years, since whenever uh, Razzie came in and then <coughs> followed on from Johan van Graan. I mean, Munster made two semi-finals last year, yeah. so if you had a choice of going to one or the other and it was a completely independent decision, 
irrespective of the fact that personally he knows more people in Munster than you would want to go yeah. to Munster anyway. From from a rugby and a personal perspective, of course it makes sense for him to go. But the point uh, I think if we I think if we go back to what the question was, it was about the RFU and all this. I just think as you said we've got the Ruin Pinar incident where we think they had too much influence and now we don't think they had enough influence where's the correlation here? Well Ruin Pinar was forced out of Irish rugby Mm -hmm. sorry forced out of Ulster rugby Mm -hmm. and the difference is I think that the RFE didn't want to force somebody into Ulster rugby Mm. And I suppose in both situations, really, what the IRFU have done with boost decisions is try and look after Irish rugby, which yeah. at the end of the day is what they're there to do. Yeah. So, like from the national team perspective, it doesn't really make a great deal of difference whether Carberry's no. at That's the thing. Ulster or Munster. You're probably as better as off playing. having him at Munster because they'd be playing Conor Murray. Yeah. But you could also make the argument that, um, just in the sense that the IRFU obviously and theoretically want Ulster to be successful even just from a financial point of view as well as a offering a pathway to the national team then you'd want Ulster to be better and Ulster have not been made any better since the season ended and Munster have the other thing was from sort of basing this solely on a handful of people on social media it seemed to me that a portion of Ulster fans didn't really want Joey Carberry anyway. Yeah. I think, and I'm willing to be corrected on this, but I think sometimes when Ulster players are vying with players from another province in the international setup, then that player becomes quite unpopular mm-hmm. in the way that, you know, up here you were not anti-O'Gara but you weren't an O'Gara guy because you were a David Humphreys guy <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean and like I think now you would have had people who like dislike Ian Madigan because he was vying for a position with Paddy Jackson in the Ireland setup and like I've only like I've only met Ian Madigan a few times and I've been interviewing him and stuff but he's, he's a very nice guy <laughs> <laughs> but he attracts this level of uh yeah dislike for reasons that I can only assume are because he uh, was going head to head with Paddy Jackson and has what people associate as a D4 haircut like <laughs> um, and I think Carberry's maybe the same in what the, the haircut? no well, <laughs> certainly not a D4 haircut anyway. um, you have this situation where it was for a while seen as Carberry or Jackson and people were in support of Jackson so I think that led to a level of um, or lack of appreciation of the good things that Joey Carberry mm. can bring. I'm not for a second suggesting he's like 100% the finished article and he would have came up here and been uh, brilliant. But I think there's an element where sometimes people point out the negatives of Joey Carberry, things like that. Well, sure, he only played one game for, or he only started one game at 10 <laughs> for Leinster and they lost it, yeah. um, that sort of thing. Um, rather than focusing on what Joey Carberry could have brought. Van Ulster did sign an Irish player last year that everybody thought might not be brilliant, and we knew what happened there. But anyway... Nice. Um, Everyone's favourite guy. <laughs> just to move it on to what 
sort of means for Ulster and what Ulster need to do now. Christopher Toole asks, do we still need an experienced fly half or, or to bring along Johnny McPhillips or should we be giving him our full support? And I assume he means just by making him the first choice. Yeah, when did we last do a podcast? Did we do a podcast post Elton Yandies or not? We did it yeah, during the Elton Oh yeah, we did, because you were being very circumspect <laughs> and wouldn't actually... Hypothetically. <laughs> really oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, Elton Yandy's if reports in South Africa today are to be believed is about to sign for Perpignan so that's off the table um, Ben Volavola who is another name mentioned possibly as in connection with the original light half has since signed for Racing um, Christian Leofano has today signed a deal to go back and play in Japan so when we're talking about people that might come in here as an experienced side half and there's not really too many people about that don't have contracts for next year so if you're going to get in somebody then it's going to have to be somebody that we either haven't heard heard about um, as being a possibility I think Adam you're the man in the know about contracts, but I think mm-hmm. Bernard Foley was the uh, was the other ten that we could work out that yeah. was high enough quality and didn't have a contract or something similar to what we saw when Kutsia uh, came, where there was there's a player out there with a break clause in their contract or a contract they can get out of or something mm-hmm. that could end up here. Um, we're forgetting a name uh, south of the border who's available and Ian Keatley. Now, I wouldn't want to see him up north, and that's not a slight on him, but if you're going to have someone Irish playing, I would rather have Johnny McPhillips starting. But purely from an experience point of view, he is someone who has played a lot of games in Europe and domestically. He has been capped for Ireland. He does know how to run a game, and he's had... He's definitely had spells during his career where he's played at a very high level. So from an experience point of view, I wouldn't want him to come up and play number one. But as someone who Maybe could... Maybe at one. Loose head stocks are pretty <laughs> But you could... Very clever. Very clever. You could definitely see him as an experienced head being a good mentor for Johnny McPhillips. Purely from the perspective of coming in and if McPhillips has, say, a per couple of games, Keatley has the know-all and the, and the wherewithal to sit him down and say, look, it's not the end of the world. Here's what's happened to me during my career. And that's something that maybe could be beneficial. But as I said, if he was coming up north, and I don't think he'd come up north just to do that, mm-hmm. but he would be someone who could provide an experienced option in the Ulster squad just be that mentor because if, if you look at Ulster Ulster don't have any experience at 10 you know even in the coaching staff there's no one who's played 10 in their career who can be that guiding figure to McPhillips Dan Silver not a 10 did I imagine that I wasn't aware way, that he was but my time I'm going to look you can talk amongst yourselves there boys <laughs> <laughs> do, do some research the bottom line is we'd love to see a foreign 10 come in and take over at 10 and allow McPhillips to develop uh, underneath him. But at, at this stage, and we've said this before, 
we're pretty sure that's not going to happen simply because of the names that aren't available um, and the names that are available aren't experienced or just aren't good enough to come in and take the reins at 10 for Ulster. So at this stage, I think you really are looking at McPhillips starting the season as Ulster's number 10 and you're hoping that they maybe sign someone with a bit of experience to work with him as opposed to take over from him as the starting ten. I guess like the because I had sort of suggested Ian Keeley last year before Lele Afano and people really didn't care for it as an idea yeah. and then <laughs> he played pretty well for the a good chunk of this season mm. and I was walking around feeling fairly vindicated in myself and my uh, my outlandish <laughs> shouts last summer and then at the end of the season things really sort of unraveled for him and you've seen it before like um, he's a player where sometimes he puts bad games together in the same way that he puts good games together and like he's had some difficult times um, with Munster and the fans especially you think back to that the Leicester Tigers game um, a while ago um, but the issue that you have even just from the optics of it are that Ian Keatley well actually he'd been replaced by J.J. Hanrahan by the mm-hmm. end of the season but Ian Keatley was Munster's 10 for a large chunk of this season and they felt the need to go out and get an upgrade in the shape of Joey Carberry so if they thought that Ian Keatley and JJ Hanrahan and an injured Tyler Bland all at 10 was requiring of an upgrade, then if you're going to take those players, then by definition, you're going to need an upgrade to get to where Munster are. But I'm not talking about bringing him in. Oh, no, I'm, not, I'm, not argue, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just yeah. putting across but, the yeah, point. But Johnny McPhillips could, well, should be an upgrade on what Johnny McPhillips was last year. Yeah, he should exactly. be. But he's not at that level yet that Ulster yeah. need, and that's what you'd need that experienced 10 to bring so along. It, could that be the best option now then, signing an experienced backup? Because that'll help. I mean, I, I'm loath to bring in football and examples, especially Irish League ones, but look, it's a summertime sound, do what I want. <laughs> the way it, at Glenavon, I'm sure our reader or our listeners will be very familiar with Glenavon central midfield, but Sammy Klingen, <laughs> who played for Northern Ireland, came in last year and the difference he made in Dunavon's two young and upcoming centre midfielders was unbelievable, just from the point of them learning off him and training every week. It's difficult, though, because you have to... Like, Sammy Klingon was coming back from Coventry, was it? And, uh, well, he was he had been at Linfield and hadn't really played right, okay. for a year. Um, Keep up, John. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Save it for the Irish League podcast, guys. Um, so... Sammy Klingon was at a stage of his career where he was probably okay with having that role. But it's quite difficult to find somebody to take that role who's going to say, I want to play 15 games a year and let and mentor somebody who's going to play 20 games a year. Mm. Because it's just, it's not something you really see very often in rugby, yeah. like, is it? No. So basically, in conclusion, we have no idea what else they're going to do at this stage. 
Is that at, the, at, this sta- at, at this stage, stage it's Johnny McPhillips. Yeah, like, at this stage, yes. I would put money on Johnny McPhillips starting the season at ten. That's and who's your the, who's your backup option? Like, no, it's not. It's not. But then, yeah. let's say Johnny yeah, McPhillips I mean, I, gets injured. Yeah. I but I mean, the way Ulster squad is at the minute, you could say that about any position. If well, somebody that's gets true. Injured, the, like the, I ship, mean, the ship is sinking. If John see, Kenny gets injured, like we're all going home. If you no, genuinely. If you take John Cooney and Johnny McPhillips out of that team, you're starting two academy guys at 9 and 10. And that's no way for them to get experience uh, as yeah. in the yeah. senior leagues. Um, so, like, are, are we really saying at this stage Ulster are unlikely to make any more than uh, additions to the squad? I do think that you would like to think that they pull off something outlandish, but... You're not expecting it. Well, to put it this way, the names that I had heard mentioned have all signed for other people now. Mm. So yeah. I haven't heard anything. Okay. I mean, I've, I've just taken a quick look through the contracts there now, and there's nobody stand out apart from Bernard Foley, who I don't think mm. is going to leave Australia in a World Cup year. Mm. I just don't see anyone who would be able to come in to Ulster and add either experience or enough talent to displace Johnny McPhillips. No, like those four names that we mentioned are the four players this the word on the street was that they were interested mm. in um, and they've all signed for other people yeah. now well um, Joe Schmidt did say in his press conference last week I think didn't he that sort of there would be discussions sat down now as to what is the best route forward for Ulster in the number 10 situation so time will tell and see what, what happens with that um, uh, Ulster's backroom team there has also been plenty of movement then uh, Gareth Robinson and Johnny Davis have both left but coming in of course Jared Payne has been named defence coach and uh, just this morning Daniel Super has been confirmed as Ulster's new skills coach I think I'm right mm-hmm. in saying and um, uh, having looked it up I have no idea what position he played it might have been number 10 it might not but two good additions there I say that as a question, also a statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the whole reason that we're doing this podcast is because somebody from Banbridge got taken on to the Ulster coaching tickets. That is, that is 100%. <laughs> and yeah, I turned around podcast. excitedly and went, can we do a podcast? So we're not going to talk about like Jared Payne for the next half an hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While I looked at him and said, did you not read Saturday's paper? And he just looked at me blankly. But, uh, no, I did not read the final <laughs> line of your story on Jude Smith. Just, just on... <laughs> on my day off. Did, didn't get to the bottom of it, no. Just, just on Jared Payne, I was I should, looking I actually should have texted you right away. I don't know why. You should have. I was looking at the stats. I saw it late last night. Are you going to keep talking <laughs> over me? <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> Just giving the people the super chat that they Exactly. Want. That's what they're here for. <laughs> looking at the stats from during the season uh, for the defence under Jared Payne, and I said in the last podcast, stats don't tell you everything, and I still stand by that. But if you look at them, under Jared Payne, Ulster averaging 19 points against them per game and 2.22 tries against them whereas before they're averaging just over 23 points a game and just over 3 tries a game so you can see even in the stats that I thought didn't actually quite reflect so well on him that Ulster have improved and whenever you consider he only took over halfway through the season he was still trying different things as the season went on, you know things were looking much, much better than what they were uh, in January and before. So certainly from getting Jared in as a defensive coach, it looks like things. Uh, it looks like that's a really 
smart appointment. They've really uh, looked at what he's done. They've seen how the players have responded to it. So uh, from a defensive standpoint, certainly getting Jared to stay on as defensive coach, I think, is probably the best move they could have made on that side. Dan Sober has track record with uh, Banbridge this year was great with Inst and for Balnehinch. You know, he's, he's certainly earned his stripes at a club and schools level and I think he's deserved a shot at senior level as well. And it'll be very interesting to see how he brings his game to Ulster because a lot of people, whenever they go from one level to another, they like to change things up thinking, well, I'm now at... I'm now in the big leagues, so to say, you know, I've got to try and change things up. It'll be interesting to see if he tries to do something different tactically or if he'll just use what he's been doing so far. I think, like, uh, certainly everyone that I've been speaking to, all the players about Jared Payne have spoken very, mm. very highly of him. We all knew that Joe Schmidt really used him as this... Um, midfield communicator he was the linchpin of the defence and the important thing for me in this move is the fact that Payne's going on the tour of Australia um, which means he's going to pick up an awful lot from um, Andy Farrell and Joe Schmidt so next season we don't have this um, this situation where Ulster are playing a completely different defensive system to everyone else in Ireland which just doesn't make sense <laughs> so I when we said about being tired earlier, I kind of rallied for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gone now. Just, just gone now. Just slapped across and, the face. Uh, yeah, uh, Dan. Uh, Not literally. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Dan, Dan's a great guy, great coach. Um, happy to see it. Um, one of us more so than anybody else. <laughs> Gareth can't contain himself here. <laughs> I, I'm very excited. Not least because I now have somebody that I know involved in Ulster and it will make me uh, just say more things <laughs> one of the things he can help with as well is bringing through guys like James Hume and Michael Lowry the guys he's worked with yeah. uh, in Inst and I mean it, I don't think he's been brought in specifically for that but uh, it's something that he can also add because Lowry's going to be someone who's hugely important over the next few years to try and maximise this potential that everyone says he has and then integrate him into the squad without throwing him in at the deep end. And James yeah, Hume... Michael Lowry starting 10 next year. <laughs> um, but James Hume is someone who's going to be really, really important as well, especially if Luke Marshall is out for um, an extended period at the start of next year because the, the centre stocks are looking quite... Baron as well so you might see him being played a few times at the start of the season and again he's someone that uh, that Dan has worked with before so it's just little things like that just being able to bring the guys through that he knows quite well integrate them into the squad without putting them in at the deep end and I think that's something that's going to be very important particularly this year where Ulster have called that squad down that's looking quite threadbare yeah. Just yeah, it's, just, on, it's just good for club and schools coaches to see yeah, this absolutely. isn't it I mean, oh, yeah. he thoroughly deserves this he's got Bambridge two promotions in the last three or four seasons yeah like, like two, back three, three in a row schools, schools cups, cup titles um, taking success Clare, has been unbelievable taking Ballyclare to schools cup final six years ago now um, first time in 40 years apparently yeah, um, good work Balna Hinch and 
And a lovely man. And a lovely man. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, I mean, you talk about Adam mentioned there sort of making a step up and thinking that you need to change stuff. And I know, like, different times and whatever, but like the last two times that, well, not the last two times, I really do need to go to sleep. <laughs> the only two times that Ulster have made um, European Cup final was with teachers, guys who come in from being teachers as a coach. So, you know, it's not the. It's not outlandish to use, you know, Gareth's example. It's not like somebody teaching, you know, a, a school football team and then get the money out of job or something. Here, you know, it's <laughs> like there's precedent here, and just we sort of mentioned that as well. But Gigi and uh, JD as well, leaving. That's yeah, yeah. Down with that sort of thing. Hmm. I mean, they've both they've both been around for so long. It's it's quite hard to think of Ulster without them. But I know we wish them all the very best uh, wherever they end up. Certainly. Gigi, the only uh, man that I know that's ever been on the staff at Spurs, which always has been marked as a favourite. <laughs> <laughs> but also a tremendously nice man. So. Yeah. There you go. Um, Ryan Pienaar then. We, we don't think we discussed this. Uh, he was no, we haven't. nearly coming in this season, people thought. No, he's not. Is he coming in next season? He's never coming in this season. No, but I said people thought. Just somebody going rogue and then making them go work on a day off. It was really annoying. Um, anyway, enough about me. Um, yeah, so he is going to be here next season, but we're not really sure in which capacity, which is interesting. Um, he's been talked about as having a job with the academy, which is, I suppose, a possibility, but um, Altrad, the uh, Montpellier owner, has came out today in Media Olympic and said that Ruan's family are not coming back to Montpellier whenever they come home for the summer. We sort of expected that they were going to come home for the summer because, by and large, that's what they seem to be doing during the school mm-hmm. holidays, but um, they're going to stay here. Um, and not go back when the season starts Ryan's going to fly back and forth and when he has time off and stuff um, apparently that sounds familiar um, does it? I remember John Foad doing something very similar he barely, he barely came back <laughs> <laughs> he had nowhere to be left in him John Foad. yeah I know 100 appearances for Gloucester later new signing at Bristol <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we sound bitter about that? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bitter, I really like John Fowler. Um, it's just I, I remember being told that he had no rugby left in him. <laughs> yeah. There you and go. he's still played for the Babas the other day. He did. He's talking about absolutely outrageous offloads for Gloucester this year, so he deserved that Babas call-up. That one towards the end of the season, what was it, against Bath? Yeah. Out the back of it, oh, that was brilliant. Um, back to room, though. <laughs> um, just going to go down some John Fowler stories there, just... <laughs> have a real summer vibe in this podcast. <laughs> the thing is, Ulster have a very inexperienced coaching ticket this year, and when I say that, I don't mean they haven't uh, they haven't coached before or anything like that. But you take in the fact that Dan McFarland has never led a team before, Dan Soper has never coached at a senior level before, Jared Payne has just retired from playing. You know, you're talking about three guys there who will have maybe a combined half a year of coaching at a senior level. So uh, that can work, but you don't want to start throwing in too many guys who are inexperienced because then it gets to the point where you're suddenly like, 
oh boy, what if something goes wrong mm. and we don't know how to fix it? <clears throat> and <laughs> I completely forgot about Aaron Dundon and Dwayne Peel, who also have about three years coaching between them. So, while bringing Ruin back into that, who hasn't coached at a senior level before, would add another name into that. So, well... While I wouldn't be against him coming back and going into an academy role or something like that, you'd like him to come back in more of an advisory role to, to someone like Johnny Stewart or Graham Curtis, you know, the guys in the academy, and that's where the academy role would come in very well. But I, I think, you know, looking at Ruin and saying, let's get him straight back into the coaching setup wouldn't necessarily be the best plan from the start. It might be. But I think you just got to calm down, not get too overhyped that Bruins coming back. Let's immediately get him involved. People like, people were getting very excited. And yeah. They were in pain was coming back and it was going to like turn the whole team around. <laughs> was like, I, I understand people's excitement about Ruan. Mm. Like, I get it. I understand. But, but he wasn't going to play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this so is the like, thing. You don't get too many teams that are like turned around by um, a rookie coach coming in. Yeah. Plus, while this point would have maybe been a lot more valid um, last week than this week, surely everybody wants to see Ruan continue to play. Yeah. Up until this week, he was in unbelievable form, flying about the place. Um, Thirty-four knots. So like he'll pl- he'll play at the last year of his deal. There is an the third year of his deal, as I understand it, is an option. So it's not a three-year deal if he wants to retire and do something else after the second year. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. As far as I can recall. So... So could he come back? Could he play at Ulster next year? No. No. Definitely not. Well, I mean, technically there'd be nothing stopping it if it was cleared by the IRFU. The same IRFU that got rid of him in the first place. Uh, see Hypothetically, point. see your point. <laughs> um, what would I come up with something there that I meant to ask? Uh, oh yeah, do we know about Dan McFarland yet? No, like when he's coming or what's going to happen in the interim? Is uh, Daniel Everybody... going to be in charge of Ulster for a few months? Because <laughs> I don't know if I'd cope. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody seems very relaxed about it, and um, so you can take that as a good sign if you want. Or it still hasn't been. Decided. It's either a good sign or they're acting like the. Yeah. Uh, See, it's either a good sign or nobody seems to care that much. Or they're acting yeah. like the musicians on the Titanic. Yeah. Well, there we go. Um, he, he needs to be like you. You can't have it in January that he's not here. Like I know we've spoken about this and written about this, but um, if you yeah, then you're writing off half a season, and you cannot write off half a season in professional sport because that time is so valuable. And also people are paying money. So. Ah, very true, very true. And season ticket prices were... Did they go up? Were they frozen? I can't remember. Frozen, uh, that, yeah. When they were frozen, we talked about that for ages. Six and a half thousand season tickets apparently sold already. So. What was there last year? I think it was a little over ten all in last year. So yeah, Plenty of time left yet. That's yeah, like <laughs> by all accounts they're actually going rightly for, all the, uh, for everything that's happened and the presumed drop-off. And... They might not actually be too far away. Whether, we go. whether you find that surprising or not. I don't know. Breaking news. Another listener question then, because we haven't forgot about you. 
Stephen McCormick from Twitter, he's asked plenty of questions this year. He asks, when will the IRFU announce other key changes at the top of the organisation? We put a little winky face at the end of that. Which doesn't really come across, unless you say it in the way you did. Yeah. Sparky's already left, so who are we talking about? (laughs) Um, Patience, um, timing, these things are all important. Um, Don't think it um, will be replaced by Gordon Hamilton. There might be an interim period in between if anything were to happen. That's all the information I have for you people. There we go. Very intriguing. Very, very (laughs) intriguing. Not so intriguing is the state of Ulster squad, which we'll go back to again, because they don't really have very many players to begin with. And now (laughs) um, Luke Marshall and Louis Ludic are injured. Will they be injured at the start of the season? We We were actually talking about this after the game where everyone was so focused on the, like getting into the Champions Cup and things that the injuries became slightly um, on the back burner, as it were. And as it turns out, hugely important um, to next season if you're talking about guys only coming back after Christmas time. Um, Louis Lydic was obviously your presumed starting fullback. And yeah. Luke Marshall has played an awful lot of games and whereas once Ulster were coming down the centres now there's not really that many of them so I mean he's just starting fullback for the first game of the season now well Craig Gilroy Will Addison you've got three centres available and I'm including Will Addison in that and you've got five back three players available one of whom is Jacob Stockdale who will not be available for the start of the season one is Rob Little, who is a frequent attendee of the medical table, and two are Jack Owens and David Busby, who have about six Ulster senior caps between them. Well, Addison at fullback, McCluskey and Cavey, 12 and 13. Gilly and Little or Busby on the in the wing on the wing and Addison at full back yeah McPhillips at 10 and Shanahan at 9 depending on how many minutes Cooney gets on the tour that's probably your uh, starting back line at present isn't it mm-hmm. until Cooney yeah. and or Stockdale um, return but you know rightly there's going to be more injuries yeah, because someone yeah someone always gets injured so you're it's really short the three of us hasn't got injured yet and, <laughs> and you've got to bear in mind that Ulster have no back three players in the academy and they only have two centres yeah I was talking about this with our good buddy Michael Sadler um, on the phone earlier and sort of thinking that it's probably come to that time where people like Jack Owens are going to need to be in a sort of sink or swim mm-hmm. um, situation yeah. really and you know guys like that that have been in the academy for a while and obviously played a few friendlies got some bad injuries um, played for the A team um, and then without the at present the B&I Cup or a replacement then trying about having to give these guys minutes somewhere so it may yeah. as well be at times like this and just see how they go yeah. 
Um, do you know, there, uh, the eternal optimist, I think there is a possibility we could fast forward 12 months and say, do you know what, that was the best thing ever happened to Ulster, because now we have seven or eight young players who are ten times better than we thought they were going to be, well, and Ulster have actually had a pretty decent is, season, and now we have a load of young Ulster players coming up. Or we could fast forward 12 months and we'll all just be a year older. And that'll be the only thing that's changed. We'll be married. Ex- we'll be married. <laughs> Two of us are married. Side three of us might be married. I don't know. You never know. If you think I'm getting married in a year, you've got very high expectations of me. Vegas. You've been tweeting about the Vegas Knights all week. <laughs> right, the Vegas Knights. The Vegas Golden Knights is one of the greatest Cinderella stories ever. So just kind of put that out there. Back to Ulster Rugby. I have been, I've been quite a supporter of what Ulster are trying to do in making the squad smaller and trying to promote guys from within. And I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem when you take it too far. And this is my concern. Because you've now got, and we've mentioned this before, two scrum halves, two fly halves. And you're looking at, about, well, we've just mentioned it there. We have three centres available and five or four back three players available for the first game of the season. And if a couple of them get injured before the season even begins, you're in serious difficulties. This is where, whenever you're cutting your squad down, you've got to be smart. And the problem is, I don't think Ulster have been. Because now you're in a situation where one or two injuries send you into a complete into complete chaos. I think that you will see how good some of these academy players are sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And... There's no ideal time to blood players um, in a side that it feels like are always under pressure because they're two losses away from people going into meltdown. <laughs> um, the injuries in the backline are really unfortunate because it's two of your senior players and you've lost so much experience from that backline for a variety of reasons over the past 12 months. So you've gone from having a back line where you're like, Jeepers, there's some good players going to be outside the 23 if everyone's fit to be in. Why well, don't I have any back three players in the academy? What's going on here? It's one of those like sort of overcorrection things, you know, like when your car goes into a skid and you uh, end up pulling the other way, like from... Uh, from having too many backs and not enough forwards, it's like now everyone yeah. coming through seems to be a forward, and you're getting retirements, um, contract revokings, departures in the back line, and you look a bit thin there now. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to Ireland's tour to Australia. No Rory best for that. Uh, I have, if you can't really hear me, I've just entered full summer mode and I'm refusing to <laughs> lean forward to be closer to the microphone is it because so, when you lean on the table it kind of moves about yeah so it kind of moves about sorry yes. it's because it's, it's me doing it I don't realise it's as annoying as I know it is <laughs> Ireland um, Rory Best not going to be there he's today, just by the by he's going to be alright for Ulster start of the season like, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's like, fine isn't it I think everyone's pretty surprised because he was walking by without crutches at the Ospreys game and I actually saw him like hop over an advertising horn, so um Maybe that's what did it. <laughs> no, the reasoning that Joe Schmidt gave was because you're so far away from home, you really need to be going with all of your hookers fit because if you have two fit hookers 
and then somebody gets sick on the day of the game, as we saw with Rory Best not that long ago in the Italy away game, two years ago in the Six yeah. Nations. Um, and then rather than just having an extra man or having to fly somebody out from home, yeah. you're like, right, well, we're 12 hours away, so who's <laughs> going to be the hooker on the bench? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's prudent. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's obviously frustrating for Rory Best, and even when you have 111 caps, you want to have as many. You, you want to get as many <laughs> course, caps as yeah. you can. You're never going to turn down a chance to not only play for Ireland but captain Ireland, obviously. And if they do get a series win, then that would have been a real another real feather in his um, captaincy cap, if you like. So, like, he'd be disappointed for all of these things. But looking at it from an Ireland perspective, there's been different times over the past year or the past season where Rory Best's backup has been three different people. Um, Sean Cronin was the backup in the Six Nations, but wasn't even in the squad for November. You know what I mean? So, like, this is a real opportunity to find out who that yeah. backup is. Um, Rob Herring, as we've said throughout the season, has been in good form. He had a really good game against Ospreys, I thought. And without being Rory Best, has an awful lot of similar qualities to Rory Best, I think, in terms of his leadership, his and what else he brings other than just his scrummaging ability, which in the case of both is the way they influence the breakdown. And that leadership was something that I felt we probably didn't, when I listened back, we didn't touch on enough from the Ospreys game. No, I think we meant what an, to what do an impact. That, yeah, whenever things were unraveling and like we could see one raw pairing trying to like sort everyone out and calm everyone down and Alan O'Connor just going off his nut, but I mean that in a good way, of uh, telling everyone to wise up and stop <laughs> making mistakes. Um, so... It's going to be really interesting, the things on this tour to watch out for, who emerges as the second choice hooker. Sean Conan definitely brings something that the others don't as an impact sub. Um, and that's probably a blessing and a curse because you don't want to be marked as a substitute. But it's a, it's a real chance for Rob Herring and in the scrum half situation as well, obviously, very similar boat. Um, in the way that you have an obvious first choice, but the second, there's very little to choose between the three second choices, really. Yeah. And I'm just I'm looking forward to it in general um, as a test series. I think it'll be really good. I think it's probably the pick of the summer tests, which doesn't always happen with Ireland. Yeah. Um, so it's one that I'm looking forward to. And people always look at the, the the last big summer tour before the World Cup as something significant. Like, I think we probably put too much stock in it, in a way, because everyone thinks back to that 2003 England tour where they beat Australia and beat um, the All Blacks. And everyone, like, looks at that as a catalyst to them going on to win the World Cup um, later that year. And I don't think it's like if Ireland win three tests in Australia they're going to go on and 
it'll have real bearing the World Cup or anything, but it is an opportunity to make a statement. I think we said in the last podcast, 1979, since um, they last won a test series, they're the only one that they've ever won against the traditional big three Southern Hemisphere superpowers. Um, obviously, 2016, a real one that uh, got away from them in South Africa. So there's a lot to watch out for and there's a lot to look forward to. So I'm yeah, looking forward to Saturday morning. You've disappointed if they didn't win it, really, which says it all as to where Ireland are. Yeah, you, you'd be very disappointed if they didn't win it simply because of where Ireland have elevated themselves to uh, under... Joe Schmidt, I mean, you've got to bear in mind that Ireland are now Grand Slam champions. They are second in the world. You know, they, they have usurped England, South Africa and Australia as the main challengers to the All Blacks, which I think is a great credit to Joe Schmidt. But this is where you have to sort of lay your marker down and say, we're not messing about. We are taking this seriously. We have the World Cup firmly in focus and we're going to really tell you that this, this is what we're going to bring uh, next year. I think it's a huge test series for Ian Henderson because you've got to bear in mind that James Ryan is having another worldly year in that he hasn't lost a senior game of rugby yet. He's a Grand Slam champion, he's a European champion, he's a Pro 14 champion and he's never even experienced defeat as a senior rugby player, that's also like insane, and he's only 20. <laughs> uh, it's mad. But for Ian Henderson, the big concern is he's missed so much game time recently. He's missed quite a few big games for Ulster. Some, due to injury, not, not his fault, obviously, but due to injury, he's missed so many games recently. And he's got Tag Byrne breathing down his neck, who has had another phenomenal year. For the Scarlets, I mean, you look at some of the stats he's had, you know, leading the league in turnovers, um, just the carries he makes, the overall impact he has, or he had on that Scarlets team is outrageous. And yeah, you, 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 would definitely, you would definitely say that he would be able to replicate that for Ireland, and I have no doubt that given the chance in a green shirt, he would, uh, he would absolutely take it, but... This is why Henderson needs to come back in. He needs to impose himself on that squad again because if Byrne gets a sniff, he will take it. Ryan, you know what he's capable of and you know he'll take it. So Henderson has to come back and he has to say, well, actually, hang on a second. Here's what I can do. Just here's a reminder that I am your best lock in this team. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually, that I forgot to make. Um, about Byrne coming in and how that changes the dynamic because you're talking about Rory Best being out and what that does to the captaincy situation obviously Johnny Sexton and Peter Romani and the vice captains but it's going to be really interesting to see what Ireland's best 15 or what we think Ireland's best 15 looks like um, at the end of this tour because as much as we talked about the backup there's actually places in this starting team at the minute that are really up for grabs when you think about Byrne coming in because you've basically got Stander, O'Mahony, Henderson, Byrne, Ryan and that's discounting Toner and mm -hmm. a return from Sean O'Brien which we shouldn't discount 
um, assuming that Levy is going to be your seven. So then you've got those like five guys that are going to fit into four spots. And five into four doesn't go. <laughs> I I wouldn't envy that decision because no. you would think you know you can have Handy and Ryan in the second row and think oh we'll move Burn into the back row, but then what do you do? Do you drop Omani? Do you drop Stander? It's it's going to be a big shout. Obviously, it'll be horses for courses, and somebody will probably get injured before the World Cup. Yeah, but just probably at the minute, it's um, something that I really should have mentioned when I was talking about how interesting this tour yeah. was in the first place. For me, I don't um, think that's you, why we're a team. For me, I don't think you can change that back row. I think the back row's got that nice balance of Omani, Levy, and Stander. And like, I think people forget that like Omani wasn't in the Ireland side. Like as recently as the last Six Nations. But the, this is the point I'm making, because he played his way back in with some great performances. Henderson comes back in and puts in performances that replicate that, mm. and mm. You, you can't ignore him. Yes. Now, he, he's not in the same scenario where uh, Omani had dropped out of the Ireland squad and needed to come back in and make a statement to get his place back. Henderson has just been missing a few games with injury, but he still got him put in those performances to keep away Byrne and to cement his place as uh, in that lock pairing because right now none of them are guaranteed a starting place. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Like, um, I think there is an argument to be made that O'Mahony dropped off a little bit after the Six Nations um, going back into the end of the season with Munster. Um, mm. But I agree with you. Like, it, it's a fascinating dynamic that there are five players that good and because of Burns' ability to play six, eight, and um, lock seemingly equally well, mm. you end up with a situation where there's five players that are that good, and none of them feel like they're guaranteed their place, which is interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Very, very. We'll be back in another few weeks then to look back at it all, won't we? I think that's the plan, isn't it? End of June. We will be. Said last yeah. time. You, you won't be, though, will you? you won't yeah, be. I can't remember what we said in our... I'm going on honeymoon, you see, for yeah. the we're, beloved listeners. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna come back the week after Ireland finished their tour and after Ulster have discovered who they'll face in the Champions Cup next year. And after Ulster have signed about six players, maybe? <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Uh, no matter what happens, there'll be there'll be no emergency podcast until after the Australia tour. So we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. be back in what, three weeks? Yeah. Three, four weeks. Something yeah. like that. Hopefully we something Gareth. around maybe, uh, maybe yeah. like Gareth. Who knows? We don't know. Something around the end of June, but I've enjoyed this. It's been like a really laid back podcast. I've been very relaxed <laughs> it's been now. Hopefully, far too relaxed. Hopefully, the beloved listener <laughs> well, feels relaxed by this. Ulster haven't had any games recently for anyone to get their blood all worked up. So, I like, uh, I, I like the, I like the tone of it. Esse- essentially, what you're saying is you prefer rugby when there's not actually any games. When there's not actually rugby, it doesn't yeah. quite work like that all the time, Gareth. <laughs> I just think this will be good if people are lying out in the back garden. The wee barbecue go in the background. Yeah, this will be a nice wee lesson for them. I hope so. Guarantee you the weather will change tomorrow and there will be yeah. nobody will be barbecuing in the It needs to be good on Saturday for my web. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of want to go home now too, so I also want to go home, so let's wrap this yeah, up. This is it then. <laughs> so, from Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you very much. And from Adam McKenna. We really just flew towards the end there. <laughs> Cheers guys. Thanks for listening.